Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 148. Today is day six of self-quarantine, and it is Saturday, March 21st. My guest for this episode joined remotely from Australia. She is an adventure photographer. She's worked for Nat Geo, and she's got some of the most incredible work I've ever seen. Her name is Crystal Wright. I would suggest that, like I have done with other photographers in the past, you pull up either her Instagram account, yeah, use her Instagram account, or you can even go to Google um, and to YouTube and pause when we mention specific work so that you can see it and you can understand what we're talking about. I think that Visual Companion will serve you really well when you're listening to this episode because her stuff is just absolutely incredible. She's one of my favorite photographers. I was super excited to have her say yes, that she would come on. And the conversation was really brilliant, really, really cool. Uh, Crystal's known for getting really amazing shots and at times putting herself in peril to do so. I didn't want to make that the focus of this because really uh, her work speaks volumes. It speaks for itself. But I think it just uh, it adds like some really cool character to the person behind the shots. I took this... A uh, quick excerpt from an interview that I saw online, but I thought it was appropriate. It says, In 2011, as she was trying to get the perfect shot of three people attempting to reach record-breaking altitudes while paragliding, she suffered some of her most serious injuries. An adventurer herself, Wright was paragliding while trying to get the photo. She was so focused on capturing the moment that she was blindsided as the wind blew her off track. She crashed into a boulder. The consequence? A hematoma in her eye, numerous lacerations on her face, a torn ligament, and two fractures in her foot. While that would deter most others from picking up a camera again, it only motivated her. She calls them her battle scars. Yeah, I mean, I think that says it all. Uh, but please go check out her work. It's it's unbelievable. Um some of the, the the short films, the videos, particularly in perpetual motion and chasing monsters, if you put those two into YouTube, they're utterly fascinating and, and really brilliant and cool and um, they're kind of exhilarating. Like they get they get the blood pumping and they get you excited. So go do that uh, and check out all her stuff and support her. She's really amazing. If you are able to support this podcast as well, I have a Patreon account. It's the Voyages of Tim Vetter. Um, it's patreon.com slash the voyages of Tim Vetter. Obviously right now these are pretty trying times and there's a lot of, um, artists and, um, people working in the service sector who are fearful about how they're going to make their money. So, um, I have a stable income from a regular job folks. So only if you have enough dispensable income to also support this podcast, do that. But, uh, if not at this time, support somebody who's, uh, in a, a place that's not as well off as me at this point. Uh, but you can greatly support this podcast by continuing to listen to these episodes as I record remotely. I'm not <laughs> going on many voyages right now unless it's a voyage to the kitchen or a voyage down to the grocery store. Um, but I can do these remotely and I'm interested in a lot of things and I'm going to keep doing so. So you can support by listening, by telling a friend, by leaving a rating and review on uh, Apple, iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you're listening. That'd be really cool. Okay, this is 148. Enjoy this episode with Crystal Wright. Hey, 
I was just talking with my partner about how like um, every year at the beginning of the year, people are like, ah, oh, this is my year. 2020 is going to be great. Goodbye, 2019. And 2020 has just been like uh, a nightmarish year here in the States, but uh, pretty much everywhere at this point. Um, yeah. I wonder how many people, um, it's like, oh, wow, 2019, I, I miss you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but oh, I'm, gosh. I'm, uh, I'm glad. Yeah, but the, and this is the one thing, though, with the pandemic is that we are all in this together. It's not affecting, like, one class of people or one country. Like, it is affecting basically the world over, except, I suppose, the most remote communities. Perhaps they might get out of this unscathed. Um, but I guess we can only just uh, watch and see. Yeah, that's that's my hope too, Crystal. Is that like, um, you know, especially here in the states with healthcare. But I, I, I'm hoping this exposes that uh, there's a lot of things that needed to be changed, and hopefully, will sort of like be normalized by this if we're if we're in this sort of de facto lockdown long enough. Um, healthcare yeah. for sure. Well, I mean, tough because. On one hand, you see things like uh, NASA releasing the sort of radar views uh, over China and showing how, you know, with the lowest emissions ever, that the air is cleaning up. Yeah. Or I saw on Twitter this morning that people have been posting photos of dolphins returning to the canals of Venice because wow. you know, the waters have cleared thanks to no traffic. And so on one hand, you think, well, maybe we'll see the environment bounce back and maybe we have a chance to reset but then at the same time, a lot of us are like, well, we need to stimulate the economy again. So I fear that we're so driven by our economy that we'll just go back to the way we were. I, I don't know. I want to think that people can change and we'll see good out of this and we'll have a chance to reset. But then uh, at the same time, it's just, well, it's just impossible to know um, what direction we'll take out of this. Yeah. I mean, that's best case scenario. That's what I'm hoping for, too. Uh, but I'm, listen, I'm glad, like, I'm really glad we got that we were able to, to connect. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm not the easiest with time zones and then life keeps rapidly changing. So I admit I won't have the longest amount of time to stay on the phone. Cause I'm really good at rambling and in interviews and staying on for hours, but, um, I'll have to give myself a bit of a cutoff just cause, uh, Go take care of uh, some more life issues that have popped up today. Yeah, sure. Cut it whenever you need to cut it. Um, I'm just glad to have you That's on it right. all. Like you, you're someone I was like I was quite pleasantly surprised to get a response from because uh, oh. I'm a really big fan of your work. I think it's really amazing and really inspiring. And um, oh, thank you. Yeah, let me. So then, uh, for the sake of time, let me get into some of it. So yep. I thought maybe a cool way to do this would to look at some of your projects and, and some of your photos and to ask you to sort of uh, expand upon the story behind them, but to, to give, yep. to give people some context, cause I've, I've had a, a vast array of guests on here. If anyone is previously unfamiliar with your work, um, I'm just sort of curious about you prior to the career. I had read that, um, you were around like surf culture a lot, but I'm wondering if at an early age, you were interested in photography or you had any experiences that led you down this path? Uh, I just got to the end of high school and I didn't know what I wanted uh, to do. And it was basically, I knew that I love sport, art and music, but after school, well, you know, reality sets in. I can't continue to do everything that I love because of course an income is needed and those other sort of life responsibilities. 
And so the first thing to go was music uh, because my love for sport and art was, uh, I guess, stronger. And it was actually my mum who suggested, well, why don't you study photography? Because I was always grabbing my Kodak disposable cameras to take with me on school camps. And she's like, oh, I think you have a bit of an eye for it. And my initial response was like, oh, God, like how do you make a, you know, a living out of being a photographer? And um, But I had no other options. There's nothing else that I could even consider for university. And so I just enrolled in the course. And uh, funnily enough, I hated the course. Um, it was three years for the degree. But the funny thing is, is that going through the course, of course, it taught me you know, certain technicalities. But because of my frustration within the course, I took that frustration and went out to seek out mentors in the field that were in sports photography. And that really kickstarted my passion for it. Uh, so I feel thankful that taking a gamble on a career path that it did work out because I know, God, for many of us, we must take gambles and go, oh, four years later, actually, that wasn't for me. Uh, but instead, I found myself running the sidelines at the major sporting events uh, during my work experience, which then soon led into a string of work for a newspaper. And for, I guess, initially, that's what I thought my path was going to be. I was going to be that newspaper photographer or working for the news agencies and working my way up that I would one day go to either the, the Olympics or the Rugby World Cup and, and just be amongst the best sport photographers in the world uh, documenting those sort of events. Wow. I thought, so I had, I had maybe an inkling into your psychology a bit, and I think you have what, uh, what I call like the fire, right? Like, so there's a lot of people I've had on the, on the podcast who I think would just be drowning in the sort of nine to five cubicle setting. Uh, is it fair to say that that you're you're of that blood that you've got the fire in you? Yeah, I'd say I've had the fire in me. Um, I think at the moment I'm just sort of going a bit of through an interesting life chapter, uh, which sort of forces to question a lot of things. Uh, but I guess, well, not to jump forward too far, but I think uh, one of my biggest faults is that I probably, in a very naive way, thought I was immune to burnout. I never thought that I could hit a point where, uh, not that I've run out of ideas or anything, but I've definitely just hit this weird burnout period um, that was brought on by health issues and uh, other things that it's forced me to stop and sort of reevaluate quite a lot, which is um, a bit of a funky period to go through. But I don't know, we need to stay in this subject now or sort of go back if we want to stay on the timeline um, sort of idea. Well, yeah, I think I might actually be touching on some of those stepping stones that maybe is leading you to feel that way. Um, I saw that, uh, well, I guess, is it fair to say that early on you were uh, pretty interested in underwater photography? Oh, yeah. I mean, aside from getting my first uh, SLR camera so I could get into the university course, and I did have the assistance of my parents to help me get that first, very first SLR um, kit. Uh, But... With my own spending, or sorry, my own savings, uh, of course, as a kid, I was, you know, you put that dollar away every week or five bucks, whatever it was. And at the end of high school, I was only a couple grand that I had saved up. But of course, back then you think, this is so much money. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the first thing I did was I spent it all on my Aquatech housing. Uh, and that to me, I thought was one of the greatest things I could do because it immediately opened up that world to me and being on the Sunshine Coast while the ocean's at my doorstep and I found myself going out every weekend, always shooting. 
I absolutely loved um, opening up that door. Yeah, you have this really incredible um, visual story, sort of short film. People can find it on YouTube if they just put in In Perpetual Motion. And I believe that's you, uh, but the, yeah, I, I think it is. The, the subject is at one point, and the story's so creative and cool, but at, at one point you're, you're sucked up into a wave. And I'm wondering, like, this wasn't a visual effect. This was actually you getting sucked up into it. And, like, did you get hurt by that? Well, uh, we definitely were super lucky because we're filming in Tahiti. And oh. obviously, you know, notorious for some of the heaviest waves in the world. And we'd just gone down from Chopu just a couple breaks away. Um, and we chose a wave that was, just at least a little bit softer, but we were lucky because we we're only playing in about, say, four-foot waves. And, uh, yeah, we had to keep doing it again and again and again because I'm, of course, stretching out to the camera, and the problem is when the body's outstretching the opposite way to the wave, it actually became quite hard for that wave to actually suck me over. And so if you do watch, well, words in that clip, um, actually, it's another clip online that I'd released just for social media, you know, slow day, fill in time. And you can see in this other clip where it's the housing, I had to use that as the weight. And if I kept the housing back, it if the wave grabbed it, then I was a guaranteed to go over the falls. Wow. Uh, and it's tough because, of course, if I were to do this and say twice the size, eight foot, well, yeah, I'd probably get sucked over way easier. But it was also was I putting myself at an unnecessary risk to get seriously injured just for the one shot? And we figured that, well, what is the difference underwater between four foot or eight foot? Like most of the audience probably can't tell. And of course, yeah, so I had to manage those expectations and keep myself safe. And by doing that, it got down to the last few ways of the day. And the last two, most of the time I lined myself up with these sort of channels in the reef and... Uh, and generally I would uh, just go into those and not really collide with the reef when I was sucked over. But the last two ways, I first I hit uh, my ankle and nothing bad happened, but I was like, oh, that's a bit strange. And the very last time uh, I sucked over and I hit uh, the back my yeah, the back of the ribs and I didn't know at the time, but I'd actually popped a rib or something. Whoa. And But once that happened, I was just like, something's off. We just need to stop. I think we've got the shot. So let's move on. Um, but it was a great, like, at first I thought I was a bit of an idiot for uh, doing, putting myself through it, but it was just too good of a visual not to explore. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm really proud of it in the end. Yeah, it's, it's really, uh, it's really beautiful in a sense. And it also like, maybe this is a strange analogy, but it made me think almost of like a horror film. When you see somebody, when there's like the invisible specter or whatever, or whatever the horrific thing in the movie is, and it like grabs someone and yanks them and like their whole body gets like yanked through a door or something like that. Like it looks like you're completely suspended through space being pulled back while you're like reaching forward trying to like grasp at anything. It's uh, oh yeah, it's an incredible shot. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, and on that sort of like... Uh, yeah cinematic tip I can remember being when I was a kid my parents took me to see the movie Twister <laughs> and oh yeah yeah I'm looking through your photos and your series and um the video like I said like the, sh the short film of chasing monsters and I guess the series of, of storm chasing in the midwest 
I'm just, I'm so curious about like how this project came to be. And I just, I really love to hear about your experiences doing this. Yeah, I had pitched a series of three films to Canon Australia and I was challenging them that uh, for me, I particularly was bored uh, with all the photographer content coming out, mainly because I felt like everyone everyone has been following the same formula. It's like, let's have a talking head. Let's cut to some behind the scenes. Let's cut to the stills. It was very, very safe. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's definitely a lot of great photographer content out there, but with working with Canon uh, for quite a few years, I just wanted to push them. We're a visual company. We should be pushing that creativity. Uh, we should be experimenting and trying new things. And so with these three films, the first one was actually a restless piece with Stephen DuPont, and it didn't quite nail my concept. It's still a film I'm very proud of, and I think we got one of the best outcomes considering um, just the sporadic nature of the content we're trying to film. Uh, but once I could do show Ken and my idea, the one of in perpetual motion, they finally understood what I was trying to do. And then they greenlit for me to then continue that idea with Nick Moyer and Storm Chasing Through the American Midwest. And unfortunately, after these three projects were done, um, I Kenan had explored a potential idea where I could continue the series, but it was decided that, well, there was different direction that they wanted to take even though I think Chasing Monsters has been probably one of the best success content created um, ever created for Canon in general. And uh, so, yeah, I've known Nick for a very long time. I, I met him during my work experience years when I was 19. So fast forward another, I don't know, 12 years later, I reached out to him and suggested, well, let's create a film about you in the States and Storm Chasing. So, of course, he was 100% on board. And, yeah, the storm chasing, it is a wild rush. Um, we watched Twister probably about two or three times <laughs> on that trip. And uh, I still love Twister. I still think the cult classic still holds up to this day. And it's exhausting. It's probably some of the most exhausting work I think I've done. And even though I'm not trying to climb up a mountain or swim amongst, you know, huge waves, the just the uh, – what would I say? Not the endurance, but just, well, really the stamina to be able to sit in the car basically 12 hours a day, nonstop for two weeks. You're getting very little sleep. Um, you're always moving across. We, we must have driven, what was it now? 8,000 miles in 12 days, roughly. Uh, and that was going from Texas to Oklahoma, back and forth a few times there, up through Colorado, Wyoming, back to uh, Kansas, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Texas again, out to New Mexico, back to Texas. So you get the idea. It's um, it's pretty tiring. Uh, yeah, and usually by the end of these trips, I feel absolutely just smashed in the body. Uh, but with Storm Chasing, if you get into it, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it is a, a bit of an adrenaline rush. But I also wouldn't encourage those to get into it unless you have someone well, either A, you have someone that does have the experience that can help guide you a little bit, whether it's going on a tour or, you know, I'm friends who, in my scenario, um, having Nick, who's done it for 20 years, be, um, you know, be able to guide our uh, group around as we create this project. Uh, but if I were to go out there, even though I've got a couple seasons now, I am still petrified because you can put yourself in the wrong position so easily. And, and even Nick said, look, when you, if you do start chasing by yourself, you want to just stay back and just slowly build up that experience that you, you perhaps, you know, understand the storms better and you, 
you build it up like anything in life. You, you build up the expertise and um, work your way up rather than trying to throw yourself straight into a bloody pathway of a tornado. Um, but yeah, I, God, I could talk all day about storm chasing, but I just think it's absolutely phenomenal to see Mother Nature in the course of the day go from a you know bluebird uh, sky day. See, you start to see the cumulus, these little puffs of cloud just build out of nowhere. And then within like a few, very few short hours, next thing you know, it has turned into this beast of a supercell and the sky just goes black. It's, um, I just think it's amazing. Yeah, the visuals of it are really stunning. And uh, I, I guess Nick's, the gentleman in the video, uh, talk about having the fire, like to, to see the joy on his face as he's, I think oh, yeah. at, at one point in the video, he's like, yes, this is why we come here. This is why we do this. I'm like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> it's it's interesting to hear you also say that you were petrified because, you know, a lot of what I'm looking at, like you are putting yourself in quite perilous position to get like these amazing stories out into the world. And I was going to ask you like how much fear comes into play and how you conquer that fear to to get your job done. Well, the thing about fear is that it's fear that's, uh, that keeps you alive. If, if I were in that situation, uh, or for example, if I walk up to the edge of a cliff and I don't feel my heart racing or, you know, even like that second questioning stuff, if I were to walk up and like, oh, this is fine, shrug the shoulders, that is when there should be major red flags. Uh, I think it's when you become, or if I were to become complacent, then I'm opening myself up. Uh, to a far greater opportunity of an accident or, or worse, uh, fatality. And a lot of accidents that I've uh, come across with in the adventure realm, I think complacency has been at the forefront of a lot of accidents. Not all, but certainly a lot. And so the fear is actually something that it reminds you that, oh, yeah, I'm alive. I'm human. I'm supposed to be scared if I'm standing at the edge of a 600-foot cliff or wow, you know, yeah. a giant set. Uh, of waves coming, yeah, uh, my heart should be pounding because there is danger. And so that's when I feel like, okay, I'm still in the situation, I'm still present. And I guess because I've uh, built up, again, I've built up the, the time and experience over years that, uh, you know, I, I know how, you know, for the most part, I know how to keep myself safe and I know what to do. And and the biggest thing too is like if, if I am taken over by waves, the number one thing to do is go, okay, just don't panic. Uh, generally, most hold downs are only about 10 seconds uh, at worst. Um, there are unique cases where people have been held down for much longer, especially if a whole set comes over. But for the most part, I, I remember reading that, yeah, most hold downs are maybe, you know, a top 10 seconds. And God, anyone, anyone who doesn't even have any fitness can hold their breath for 10 seconds. Uh, so it just reminds you of like, okay, stay calm. Because the, the worst thing you can ever do is panic. Uh, even when I had my accident in Pakistan and I'd collided with the boulders um, during a paragliding takeoff. And when I came to, I was definitely in a lot of pain, but I knew the reality. I knew that, okay, there is no helicopter that will come for me. There is no ambulance or anything. I had to wait for guys to climb up the mountain, carry me down a stretcher. And, and basically it took 12 hours before we finally got to this military hospital in Skardu. But again, during the whole process, I always thought, don't think about time, don't panic, just relax, um, focus on breathing and you know, time disappears. 
So, yeah, no fear, it's there. I mean, I'm, yeah, I get petrified in a lot of situations. And gosh, like chasing storms, yeah, when you see a tornado drop, it's like, holy shit, it's, it's surreal, it's beautiful, and it's fucking well terrifying. Because uh, when you do see it, particularly if it's a tornado that's unleashed onto a town, you realize, well, shit, there could be people that are either seriously injured or killed in this um, particular storm. So that's definitely uh, very grounding very quickly. Uh, but again, it's if you don't feel fear, it's like, well, why are you there? Um, what is your real motivation? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm rambling. No, no, that's amazing. <laughs> like, I, I didn't realize that paragliding injury was in Pakistan, and like it, the it's it's maybe a weird thing to say, but the the photo of that is is an incredible photo of you, um, in like obviously just a, a horrific situation, but. I didn't realize that that was in Pakistan and that like access to medical care right away would have been difficult. Um, so- yeah, I mean, I'm just thankful that I wasn't more seriously injured, particularly on my internal injuries. Um, it just ended up being just a hemorrhage. Um, no, sorry, not a hemorrhage, uh, a hematoma in my lower stomach. And I was very lucky because if I had any internal bleeding um, that was serious, then gosh, I mean, that could have been the end of it for me right there and then. Wow. Uh, but, uh, I mean, I put myself in these situations and yeah, at some point, I don't mean to put it so crass, but gosh, sometimes shit happens. It doesn't matter how much safety, how much time and consideration and experience, as the saying goes, the mountains does not give a shit how much or how little experience you carry into them. And so it just reminds you that, yeah, you, you use all your knowledge and teachings as best as you can to keep yourself safe. But at some point you also have to accept um, the spontaneity factor or the, the uncertainty because that's mother nature. Um, yeah. Gosh, look at how many avalanches that we continue to see. And even though we continue to improve our education stuff, there are times that mother nature does things that we don't have the entire science behind it to understand, Oh gosh, like how did that happen? And so there is a risk, um, but then uh that's life. I mean, who's to say that, you know, I I mean, for example, uh, last year, it was just by sheer chance that doctors discovered this dermoid cyst. And when they first discovered it, it was about five centimeters. And over the course, first they go, okay, it's benign, it's fine. Um, But of course, we've got to watch this in case it gets bigger because then I'll need surgery. And this is leading up to why I've had so much time off is that by the end of the year last year, the cyst had grown to 10 by 12 centimeters. So the size of a baseball. Oh my God. Of course, I had no option but to get it removed surgically. And so if I hadn't known that it was there, gosh, um, who knows? Maybe at some point it doesn't become benign anymore. It does become cancerous or Perhaps, um, you know, if I didn't have it surgically removed, maybe it could have burst and I would have been in a shitload of pain. Um, but the point that I was getting out with this conversation is that I'm not to know when my number's up. I mean, do I get struck down, say, with cancer in, in 10 years' time or 20 years or who knows? So there's so much we don't know about life and people go, well, you know, play it safe, stay indoors, don't put yourself in these risky situations. But we're just not to know what's to happen in our course of our lifetime. I think the one thing we need to be reminded of is that we are not guaranteed an old life. doesn't matter what we do. There is no guarantee to say that I'm going to reach 50, 60, 70. Um, so I'd rather live a full life 
try to do it with as much care because, of course, I don't want to put my friends and family through unnecessary pain because I make a silly decision. Um, but they're also going to fucking hate me if I don't be who I want to be. Wow. You know, I was, you've touched on this a bunch here, but I had a thought before. My life experiences are, they don't even come close to touching what you've done. But there's times when someone will mention something from my travels and they'll be like, wow, that's so amazing. And I'll step back for a second and I'll say, wow, you know what? That is kind of amazing. And I I guess I didn't, I didn't really even think about that. And when I was going through your, like your Instagram initially, and I'll tell everyone listening at this point, like pause for a second, pull up Crystal's Instagram account and just like flip through it and check out these amazing photos and the places you've been. And I was wondering, like, do, do you look at your life and your experience and like recognize that you've lived something quite extraordinary or are your experiences sort of like normalized to you? (laughs) Uh, a lot of times when I have conversations with people, I realize very quickly, like even being here in the Sunshine Coast, friends would be like, oh yeah, you know, the other I don't know, the other weekend when we're hanging out with mates, having a barbecue and I don't know, talk something. And then next thing I'm like, oh yeah. And oh gosh, here's a example. We're talking about leftovers at this dinner conversation. And we're talking about how good, uh, for example, like Thai meals, or especially curries. Because if you leave it go for a day, it just marinates and the flavors oh so much better. And uh, the story I bring up, I was like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I was kayaking through Mongolia and our team, we used to love um, the green curry meal we'd make up because we'd always make too much to have leftovers for our lunch the next day. And I said, oh, yeah, I, I totally agree. And all of a sudden the table goes quiet. And I knew immediately, I was like, oh, fuck, here we go. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, brought up an exotic location and and I'm never trying to outdo anyone. It's never my intention. It's just like, but this is the life that I lead. It is definitely unique. And sometimes people have a hard time relating to it because they think, oh, well, I need to travel to relate. And you don't. Um, but then one guy at the table just goes, oh, okay, well, who wants to tell the next story about who's taking a shit at the highest altitude? And I was <laughs> like, cool, loud and clear. And I, I just went really quiet for the rest of the meal. And that gets really tough because it's never a case of trying to show off. It's just, you want to tell interesting stories. And I recognize I've definitely lived a very unique life and very fortunate to have gone to the places that I have. Um, but yeah, sometimes for me, just day to day living, uh, I just have a really difficult time talking about what I do because I don't want people thinking that I'm trying to show off or, or trying to outdo them. Cause I don't see traveling as outdoing. In fact, I love the fact that I haven't traveled for the last, uh, since December and the way this year's going I'm probably not going to be able to jump on any long haul flights which I don't mind I love stopping um, gosh having a routine I think people who do live a routine there's because there's pros and cons to every lifestyle that we lead and when people look at my traveling lifestyle they think oh there she goes on another plane and going to an amazing location yet the last plane that I caught before my surgery coming home from Spain I was so jaded and tired and every plan I got onto, I was massively delayed. So then I was massively stressed. Like the first plane is delayed. So I land in Madrid and they go, right, you've got 10 minutes to run to the other end of the airport. My next gate's, you know, they say it's a 20 minute walk away. So then you're sprinting going, oh gosh, I just, I have to get home. I cannot miss a plane. So I make it in the nick of time. Same thing, get delayed again. Get to Abu Dhabi, same thing. Um, the guy's are like, yeah, you got 10 minutes. Good luck with that. 
Uh, it's like, geez, thanks. And it didn't matter what anyone did. I just hated anyone and everyone. I hated every fiber of that flight. Um, and because I've spent so much time in airports and planes, and I recognized that I needed a serious break from it. Um, I think I'd just gone too far in the other direction. I've, I've tipped the balance the wrong way. Wow. And so whilst traveling can be good, I get jealous about people who, who have the one trip a year. Because when I see that their eyes light up, they're like, oh, my God, I've, I've booked a family holiday to, say, Thailand in four months' time. We're taking the kids. And, and I go, oh, I don't think I've had that joy for a while. I can't remember the last time I was like, oh, my God, I'm so excited to get on that plane. I'm so excited to get to destinations, but the transit, um, I mean, I'm doing a lot of physio and Pilates and everything to try and recorrect my body because all that sitting in planes, well, to put it bluntly, I've completely just fucked my body. Wow. So, um, but it's hard to talk about these things because, again, people can't really relate. They they romanticize the traveling lifestyle. But, again, of course, it's pros my lifestyle, but I think people sometimes miss, okay, you might have, you know, you're at home and working nine to five, but, gosh, there's still a lot of joy and romance about that lifestyle too. Well, I appreciate your honesty about that and, and that perspective. Um, that's good for me too to kind of keep things in perspective and to keep things balanced. Uh, there is, a, maybe contrary to what you're saying, there, there is a place that I'm infinitely curious about that I think you've gone to and would just love to hear about your experiences. Uh, you had these pictures, maybe I'm saying it correctly, I hope, uh, the Adelaide Adelie Penguin. Um, did you shoot these oh, in Adelie Antarctica? In uh, Antarctica. So you went there and you and you you stayed there for a certain length of time, like overnight, even or. Yeah, so I, I've worked with the Antarctic Tourism Company for a number of seasons now. Wow. Um, I originally got my first start back in 2011-12 summer. Oh, sorry. Well, winter for you guys. Um, and that was how I got out of Sydney. And I, when I first gave up the idea of having that base and having a home to come back to. And yeah, uh, it was phenomenal that first season. I was so excited and um, it was phenomenal to go down there. And, and then I, I came back another season, but I decided to do the entire tourist season, which was four months on a ship and I lost the plot. I was probably the worst person to talk to by February because I just, because if you're stuck on a ship for me, it's like I love to run. I love to be outside and active and on a ship while you're pretty limited in what you can do for exercise. So I became pretty miserable. And so I didn't return with that company. Um, that contract ended. And so for five years, I didn't go back. And then I was reached out by another company and I thought, oh, okay, I'll give it a go. And I went down and found that joy again, uh, working down south. Um, and then recently I started working with Nat Geo Expeditions where I get to uh, go down for three weeks uh, teaching one of their trips. And so, which has become perfect because the three weeks for me, it's like I still keep a foot in that door. Um, but then, of course, I'm feeling very uh, conflicted about working down there because there's more ships than ever that are now working down there. And, of course, God talking about the pandemic and like the environmental side of things and how things are bouncing back because there's less tourist traffic and less just human traffic. Um, I think, God, why should I be entitled to go to Antarctica? Um, perhaps I should be making the conscious decision not to go down there. Um, but then the, the theory is, is that when the international treaty is up 
for renegotiation in 2041, the more people that do experience down there, perhaps the more voices that will speak up for the protection of how we should keep it as an international treaty um, rather than opening it up for resource extraction. Uh, yeah, I guess, God, no matter what we do with our lifestyles, it's all a bloody contradiction. Um, it's just the idea of perfectionism that I think can basically killing us or at least stifling our growth. Um, obviously, none of us can lead a perfect lifestyle, but we just do the best we can. Wow. You really you really are Indiana Jones. <laughs> <This> is... <laughs> I've, I've been around. <laughs> I mean, you, you mentioned um, the environment a couple of times. You have some unbelievable photos of the, I guess, the brush fires or the bush fires in Australia from last year. Um, I, I, not to like, tr- uh, I don't want to trivialize uh, I'd it. Say, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> so I'd say, I, so I, at the beginning of the season, uh, again, Nick Moyer, the, the storm chaser who also cases bushfires was teaching me um, the ways of how to document a bushfire safely. And so I got to tag along for one of those events. Uh, and this was back in November. But um, I took on this job, uh, which took me out of the country at the end of November for two weeks. And when I came back, I went to surgery and then I missed the rest of the season. And I would say if anyone wants to see what it takes to document the bushfires, I mean, I'm definitely not the example. And I definitely have so much more of a learning curve to do there. But uh, Nick Moyer, uh, his account is at Nampix, uh, N-A-M-P-I-X. And his work is absolutely phenomenal. And when you see the images that he took, um, it just, it blows your mind, uh, but it's also terrifying because what Australia has just gone through this summer, uh, I hope, God, I hope no one ever gets to experience that again. But you know, the problem is with the last fires that we've had in the last decade, so often, even like those horrific Victorian ones many years ago now, they said, oh, that was that was once in a lifetime. Like it'll never be that hot again or it'll never, you know, burn like that again. And what do you know? The next you know, the next few seasons it does. It keeps um, increasing. And uh, just a couple of years ago, uh, there was a season where we had a pyrocumulus um, cloud. So that's what basically when a bushfire becomes so intense in heat that it creates its own weather system and can create its own storms or tornadoes even. And this season that just went, they reckon we saw 30 pyrocumulus clouds so within a couple of years, I've gone from one pyrocumulus to now 30 Whoa. because the fire behavior is changing. And so I think the main thing to take out of this is that I just wish people would start to question media more, like question the newspapers, question the government, um, rather than just believing everything that is fed to us. And through this, I've um, really enjoyed, uh, like recently I went down to the Blue Mountains with friends to visit and to see, you know, what had happened to the area, just so I could understand. And again, it's like, I think people just need to open their minds more and, you know, listen to the science more. Because science, again, a bit like the mountain thing I said before, again, science doesn't matter if you want to believe it or not, it's there. It is fact. And so... Oh, yeah, oh, gosh, I just, um, at the moment we're getting rains and I hope the rains continue. Um, but I get frustrated when I hear people go, oh, it's raining. What a, what a bother to them for their so-called perfect weekend. And I'm like, I don't give a shit about your weekend. I give a shit about our environment that 
if the more rain we get, the better, because if we don't get enough to break the drought that we are still in, then the next season it could easily happen again. So um, anyway, sorry. <laughs> Someone that What's going on. Someone that fascinates me a lot uh, was uh, Marie Colvin. If you're familiar with her, she was um, a war correspondent and... Um, oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, journalist, yeah. I'm very familiar. Yeah, and she she was shot in Syria and unfortunately she passed away. Um, and not to say that you're going into war zones, but one of the things that was like quite apparent with her was that her work was really affecting her. Um, you know, clearly she had like some post-traumatic stress or depression from it. I wonder like when, if you're, even when you're filming the, the, the storms in the Midwest, if, if you've seen the destruction from that, or if you see the destruction from the fires, have you ever been, uh, affected by your work in that way in that, uh, it affected you on like a psychological or like a social emotional level? Yeah, I would say at the moment I'm definitely going through quite a lot. Um, uh, I'm struggling with even, for example, uh, posting to social media. I mean, I've never been a big fan of it. and But in saying that, I have also appreciated that it's allowed me to see, you know, at, at a click of a bloody thumb, uh, you know, I can access work from any artist who chooses to use that platform to share. So there is some good in social media. I definitely don't want to do, rip it to shreds, but there is also, I have a lot of struggles uh, with that. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's tough because then you, gosh, even with the fires, like you see photographers who are like, okay, I've, I've given up everything. Um, I'm going to go document koalas. And then I can't help but go, well, wait a minute. What is your real intention here? Are you, is this to make you feel better about your social presence? To make you, like, did you give back to the community? Did you do something more? And I know this sounds incredibly judgmental from me right now, but I just want to ask those questions to people because it's like, if it's just social media that's in, um, you know, your motivation, then I was like, you need to check yourself um, because that can't be your only motivation. And so you'd hope that, uh, uh, yeah, I want people to get more involved and I want them to feel like they're a part of the community and, and doing something. Um, but I think sometimes perhaps, you know, we're not doing enough. And maybe as photographers, like we should be finding a way, like can we find a way that it gives back even more? Or I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm just throwing out these questions, but I've, I've felt a lot of frustration from the social media um, aspects because I also feel that me as an artist, that it's actually stifling my growth because I feel attached to a certain identity online. And I've even had friends go, oh, Crystal, why are you posting environment stuff? Post adventure, that's what you're known for. And it's like, well, because I want the freedom as an artist to do what I want. And of course I have that freedom, but I'm just admitting here that I definitely feel that pressure from that platform. Um, and then, yeah, when that gets wrapped up into, you know, bushfires and, and stuff that I've see, seen, which is very, you know, I've only barely scratched the surface compared to what others have gone through. Um, yeah, it's just hard to make sense of it all. Um, yeah, I don't know. I have no answers. All I can say is that it does greatly affect me. I've definitely gone through bouts of feeling very depressed and helpless and wondering, gosh, what can I do personally that is having a bit uh, more positive impact? Wow. 
Hey, I appreciate, um, I really appreciate the honesty. I mean, I, I, I guess I hadn't even thought of that. Like, obviously, right? Like the, the sexiest news for people is like the most sensational, right? So why wouldn't that, I guess, be the case for, for photography as well? Um, mm. I mean, not, not, I'm not, I'm not justifying it, but I guess just to sort of explain it. I mean, that's why you, you, you turn on the news and everything is like, everything's the worst thing that ever happened. It's all disaster, 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 chaos. Cause it's like, that's what people want to tune in for. I don't know if we're hardwired for that or if we're just conditioned to, to follow that. Um, but that's a really interesting point. So I appreciate you, uh, your honesty on that. Um, I think if anything, it's just, we need the ability more so than ever to have conversations. Like we don't have to agree with each other. There is nothing wrong with that. But people see it as you've offended me. And it's like, yeah, that's an opinion, not an action. So what if I've offended you? Um, but it's nice. I love when I have a conversation with someone who doesn't agree with me um, because you can still have a conversation and still be friends with that person. Uh, but for some reason, it's either if you don't agree with me, then you're the worst person possible. And it's like, oh, fuck, how are we ever going to grow and evolve um, as a society sometimes? Uh, but I find it really refreshing when you do see a healthy debate and then um, you can see people being empathetic um, and considerate of each other. Because, again, we have to realize we're all brought up very differently in different backgrounds and different exposures. And I guess what is lacking sometimes is just perhaps that empathy. Uh, and gosh, that's what I wish we could see more in politics is more empathy. And maybe, um, gosh, maybe we might be a bit further ahead than where we are now. Wow. I have a, I have an artistic question. This might be kind of weird, uh, but I, I said yeah, that, I, I said this at the outset that uh, I was really happy to to have you respond and to say yes and to come on because, I mean, I just like I'm a fan. Like I I think your work is incredible. Like even <laughs> as we're talking now, I'm just like scrolling through and looking at everything and just like feeling inspired. How like how long did it take you? And I guess this could translate over to any medium, but like how long did it take you for to be like, damn, I'm good at this. Like (laughs) my photography is good photography. Oh, that's a tricky one. Um, Like I know, I know I can take a a beautiful photograph, um, but I know that I could still be a stronger photographer, um, particularly when it comes to the storytelling aspect and, I, yeah, I mean, I still, gosh, the days have gone out and I, I can barely take a photo because I'm just not feeling it. Um, I was even put towards a creative challenge at the end of last year, which of course was incredibly bad timing um, with my headspace and surgery and, and everything else. And the challenge was in this group of um, artists, just there's eight of us. And the idea would be each month someone would put up a photo challenge. They'd put up a, a photo they've just taken and everyone had 30 days to go out and take a photo that would directly respond to it. And I completely collapsed under the pressure. I pulled out um, after two rounds because I just never felt like I was truly reacting to the photo because I was so overwhelmed with life in general. Um, So I'd say it's, yeah, there are times where I don't feel like, and I've I've done certain jobs and I've gone, God, what the hell was I thinking? I look back in those images and just think, oh, this is just crap for what I've done. Um, so I guess perhaps what the best takeaway is out of this sort of statement is that to take a great photograph, it's still incredibly difficult to do. 
And with social media, we seem to just be um, not even in, in awe anymore. We're just momentarily distracted by pretty photographs. Um, but there are some accounts out there where I feel like I'm seeing cons- consistently strong work. Um, but all in all, a lot of people I feel like have dumbed down photography and just gone, oh, it's so easy, bright colors, big, beautiful landscapes, easy done, but it's it's not easy. And the thing with photography and to make this career work is like, yes, you need to be skilled as a photographer and take great shots for the client. Uh, but you also need to be someone who can network, someone who can run a business, uh, someone who can, you know, basically do it all. And that's the really tough thing about freelancing and photography is that I'm, I'm struggling to understand how certain social influences are still surviving. Uh, I think people are getting tired of that sort of um, culture online. Mm. And yeah, and like when people exchange their skill sets for free product, good luck paying the bills for your food down the line. Um, and I don't mean to sound so jaded the way I said that, but it's but it's true. You cannot pay the fucking bills with exchanging your stuff for free or for free product. It's just not good enough. And so on one hand, the photography industry took a massive hit with so many people having easier access to take photos and, you know, some brands just focusing purely of an online presence and not needing, you know, to print ads or stuff like that. But all in all, I keep hope that this industry does survive because clients do recognize that when they do pay a photographer to go do a job, they get the results. Um, so I guess there's a bit of a, a warning to those. Like if you get into this industry, you are a valued, um, like your work is valued. You are worth more than product. Um, your work is worth money and your time's worth money. So I think people need to stop caving in um, to the social media uh, and thinking that one day, okay, someone's just going to write them that magical check that pays for a house. No, it's a hell of a slog. Uh, and gosh, I have gone off track from the question, but this is what I'm really good at doing. Is no, no, this is holes. really helpful, I think, for, for people who are listening. Uh, because, yeah, I've, I've, had, I've had many people say that, Crystal, that like, um, you know, a lot of this stuff looks easy, right? And looks like, oh yeah, I could go out there and I could take some pictures and I could I could make it. I could, could become famous. I could get sponsored. I could get this and that. But like in a single photograph, you don't see the ten years of like hard work and like you were talking about before, like shitty plane rides and uh, broken bones and everything that goes that that sort of was the prerequisite for that picture to take place. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's 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 a hard slog and. and Oh gosh, like I love that I, I saw someone wrote recently, gosh, it was I can't remember which photographer it was. It was great. He was like he's like, I'm done with all these like um uh what would you say? I, I, I always call these posts bleeding the heart posts mm. when someone just goes over the top with his like personal story, but it's not you're not you can tell that they're not sharing it for the sake of shit being honest or transparent, they're sharing it for the sake of selling something. And so it becomes performative vulnerability. Um, but this photographer, he was just right, hey, guess what? Life's really fucking hard and you just keep slogging at it and, you know, it's ups and downs. Um, so sometimes when, God, you see those bleeding the heart posts online, I, I just can't stand them. Um, it's like, yeah, I want transparency. I want people to share how they really doing, really, uh, they are really doing. But if you're trying to sell me something at the end of that, um, 
you probably lost my attention immediately. But it's tough because it's a balance because I'm guilty of it too. People could definitely go into my feed and then, um, you know, they probably call me out for, I don't know, there's probably a post or two in there that I've, you know, and tried to do the personal story and, and then perhaps I had to tie it in with working with Canon or something. Um, what I would say out of this is that it's challenging and it is really hard to navigate that world and feeling like you are keeping completely honest because even if I feel like I am being honest and trying to keep it all very level, you know, someone could go in and read it the wrong way and then think that I'm a seller. So there's no perfect way. It's just trying to navigate this world as best you can. Um, yeah. Well, you know what I, <laughs> what I really like about your stuff is – uh, you write really well and you write uh, in a very like storyteller kind of way. And what I like to do, like maybe I have too much time right now that we're on like quarantine here, but I like to look at a picture without reading your, your story about it and sort of get an idea of it myself. So I'm, I'm looking at something in particular here for people who are like using this as a companion to listening to the podcast. I'm looking at a picture from February 28th, 2017 and you're with uh it's either sarah marquise or sarah marcus and oh yeah marquise yeah. There, there's so much going on like talk about again indiana jones like she's eating off of a night knife barefoot at the edge of a tent with her gear everywhere sun's coming up over the horizon and it's like damn like i can i can i could write like a, a 10 page story about what potentially this setting and, and this story could be just by looking at this uh, and then you write like these really lovely companions to that. Uh, and I don't know, I just, I, I guess I'm not saying anything profound, but I really enjoy that. And I, there's, there's another one much more recently when you're in Mongolia and there are these uh, sheep that are sort of like running up the side of the tent while you guys oh, are yeah. sleeping inside. <laughs> and then like I read your, your caption is like, yeah, uh, Mongolian homemade vodka, fermented mare's milk. And I'm just like, damn, like that, that's so cool. So I just, uh, I, I really appreciate like the, the storytelling aspect to the work that you do. It's, it's really exciting to me. Uh, cheers. Yeah. It's usually, if I'm posting photos online, I mean, very rarely that I'll go into perhaps, you know, the way I've done this podcast, talking a bit more honestly about where I'm at um, and such. And at some point I need to, God, it's almost been six months since I've posted. So at some point I'm like, I should probably return on just because I have certain business commitments with my account. Um, but otherwise I feel like if you don't know what to say about a photograph, then don't say anything at all. Just some photos people will see or I will post is like location. Like I might go, oh, okay, it was the, 2nd of February, 2019, Antarctic Peninsula, and that's it. Mm. If I don't know what to say about the photograph, I will caption it with the most basic necessities, just so people at least have perhaps, you know, a location um, and date. But, yeah, I think people think, oh, gosh, I need to write something. And it's like you don't have to. Um, there is no pressure to force a story out of a nothing moment. Um, but other times when people feel it and they like they want to share, then yeah, go for it. Um, then then write that. But when people do it every single post, it's like, oh, I, for me, I can't even absorb it. So let alone write it. <laughs> no, I understand. Me, so. I'm gonna I'm gonna maybe bring this full circle and connect it back to what we were talking about in the beginning. Um, yep. I from a lot of like what I've read, people like describing your style and labeling you is like sort of 
like willing to push yourself out there to get this really cool shot or this really cool story. And it's been well documented. You even talked a bit yourself today about uh, some injuries you've sustained over the years. And there's this uh, famous picture of you that is honestly, again, like uh, at likely a moment of great pain, but is like a really beautiful image. And I, I think it's connected to these two things. I have your caption, but then I pulled this part from an interview and it said, um, one time while mountain biking for a shot, she fell into a six foot deep ditch. The fall was so severe that parts of her teeth broke off and she accidentally swallowed them. After this, she shot the now famous photo of herself smiling at the camera with her newly chipped teeth. And then you have, I think same, same story, unless you chipped your teeth multiple times, um, you wrote, this is 21-year-old Crystal. I gloriously fucked oh, yeah, yeah. up, I gloriously fu- fucked up many times throughout my 20s in both my career and personal life, but I can say that I don't carry any regrets. Even my overseas adventures to exotic dentists who cause the odd momentary excruciating hell. Um, so yeah, like I'm wondering, like, is, is that sentiment the same? Do you, do you look back at that fondly? Do you look back at that and say, man, I was crazy at that time of my life. Like, how do you, how do you, how do you feel when you hear that? Uh, I mean, yeah, that was 21 year old crystal where, I mean, I could still relate quite heavily to the way I was. I mean, I, oh man, I mean, my photography career, like it's always been the journey. Like I always hate the questions of like, at what point did you realize you made it? I was like, gosh, I don't know what photographer ever feels like they've made it. Mm. God, there's some days I think, God, have I made it? Um, (laughs) Like what is making it? And uh, yeah, I definitely, I don't carry any regrets. Um, Sure. It hurt to, you know, chop my teeth off and six foot. What I mean, I know I fell two meters. Is that six foot though? I I don't know the conversion. I think a meter is three feet. Yeah. Yeah, no, then, and like I wasn't, yeah, it was just a, that was a relaxed day. Um, it was going to be our rest day between rock climbing in China and, but I know I just slowed down and usually with mountain biking, I never had any fears about it. I used to, and I've got, I've ripped off my elbows, my knees, you name it. And then for some reason that accident, it's like I just slowed down and tried to put my foot down and I missed. And so instead I, uh, the momentum carried me off the path and yeah, I just fell this immediately left as probably the slowest accident possible, but yeah, I landed on my back and as I landed, um, my mouth was open. So when my head then hit the rock, it, my chin, um, decided to come up real fast and, uh, yeah, it just happened in an instant. And so if I look at that, I think, oh, you know, again, it's just one of those situations where, yeah, turns out when you go for a little bike ride through some rice paddies, um, you can still <laughs> fuck up. So, um, I don't know. It's like, that's just life day. Like, there's no point looking back going, oh, God, I wish I did this. You can't learn and evolve unless you make mistakes. And so there's certain, like, God, of course we all cringe at certain things in our past. Like, God, my personal life and, like, even my atrocious dating life. Yeah, God, I look back and go, oh, what the hell was I thinking? But through those situations, it's, evolved to where I am today and if I didn't go through those mistakes then I'd probably be still carrying some sort of naivety around certain things or yeah it's um no I honestly say that there is no regret um I just think it's really important to you know to go out there and experience as much as possible so that how I don't know like you think god when I'm old and decrepit again if I get there 
you know, I want to be that, you know, crazy, batshit crazy old lady who's <laughs> telling these ridiculous stories. Because if you go through life trying to be safe and, you know, never really putting yourself out there, then, you know, I, you find yourself at the bar going, someone goes, well, what would you do say? You're like, oh, well, I don't know. I, I sat on my computer and did some emails. It's not that interesting. So, um, I for, like, for example, just because I can't help myself, it's like when I was out west just recently with the farmers and uh, I was hanging out with them just to catch up after the recent rains to see how they were doing. And their kids, um, we went out to the farm and were rounding up the cattle and stuff and their two kids were racing around the motorbikes. And, you know, we get back to the house and you see them, you know, gravitate back towards the TV and the mobile phone. And we all do it. But then you try to tell them, it's like, you know, I can bet you, you're going to remember this day. The fact that, you know, after four years of seeing your farm in as a dust bowl because of the drought, and this is the first time you rode around and there's green grass everywhere, like you remember this. But if you would stay there sitting, watching the TV or playing on your phone, you're not going to remember, remember that day. So, um, yeah, so you don't need to do something momentous. Like you don't need to travel to another country. Um just getting outside and just doing stuff. Um, then you have something to talk about. So, anyways. Well, I think that there's no better takeaway than that. I think that's a perfect end to the conversation. And I, you know, I was already greatly inspired by your work, but this was really an honor to get to talk to you. If for people who've listened and, and they feel inspired and they want to check out more stuff, where do you recommend we send them to, to find you online or to see videos and, and, and pictures? Um, I guess if you just Google my name, things come up. Um, my account on Instagram is at Crystal J. Wright. And as I said, I haven't posted for six months, basically. But I do intend on somehow kickstarting that again. Um, but otherwise, and I'm trying to relaunch my website this month. Uh, so I'm still, you know, I still appear online. I just, uh, I guess, put it this way. I'm the mate that drops in once in a blue moon. <laughs> we haven't seen each other for a while, but our conversation picks up right where we left it. And then we both go our ways, you know, and then, you know, until the next blue moon, then you'll hear from me again. And so that's how I want my sort of social media to be in a way. It's like, yeah, I'll, I don't know, gosh, if I have a big week, yeah, maybe I'll post a couple times. But if I don't have anything to say, I'm not going to um, force my presence online. I don't need to do that. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think everyone just needs just to find their right balance to make sure that they're living their lives and, you know, doing what they can. And then, yeah, there's nothing wrong with um, being wanting to connect online. It's just it's like anything and everything. It's all about balance. Well, I dig it. And, um, Crystal, again, thank you so much. This really, really was a, a treat for me. It was an honor. Yeah, sorry, that's fun talking to you. Sorry that it was so impossible to uh, pin down, but um, we got there. That is a wrap on episode 148 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thank you to Crystal for joining. Oh, man, this was, was really, really cool. Uh, this got me excited. So thank you for sharing your stories and for uh, educating the world about your work and dropping some really cool wisdom for all of us that I think all of us could take. Thank you to all of you Voyagers for tuning in from from home, from your couch, likely not on commute to work unless you are working at one of those uh, 
you know, unclosable businesses in these times because what you're doing uh, literally keeps society running. But thank you all for listening. Greatly appreciate you. Please stay tuned for some more episodes in the coming days. And in the meantime, folks, please take care of each other. I will catch you next time.